Hey, I just wanted to pop in to let you know that there was a little bit of uh, technical difficulties, you might say, in the first eight and a half minutes of this podcast. And unfortunately, because of it, my guest has a bit of an echo in his voice or reverb, but it's only eight and a half minutes. So hang tight. I promise it's worth it. This episode is a really, really good one. So stay tuned and thanks for watching. Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at The Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Scott Christensen, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, it's, it's, pleasure. it's my pleasure. I've known about you for over 20 years. So I had an artist friend when I first started painting who was in a studio next to me and he had taken a workshop from you and worshiped the ground you walked on. And oh, so right. I, of course, looked you up and I was one of the, so you were one of the first professional artists, landscape painters, particularly that I'd heard of. And uh, your work is just extraordinary. So it's a huge honor to have you on the show oh, and to actually meet you after 20 years. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you, Jeff. I've heard so many good things. And, oh, I hope and so. And watched so many things you're doing and teaching. It's really fascinating. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I want to learn all about you, and I kind of want to get your backstory. First of okay. all, did you always do painting, and how did you come to be a professional artist? I'm going to give you the edited version, um, but uh, as best I can, because it was such an unusual thing for me. Mm -hmm. um, I hope I athletics. I, what I mean by that is I was going to be a training coach at university, and, and I was training to do that. I was also, I played college football. I threw the javelin. I, I, you know, in high school, I was competitive in wrestling and freestyle Greco-Roman, all kinds of different things, right? And when I... I was playing college ball um, my junior year. I crushed my C7 vertebrae playing football. And I, I I knew it was that way already, but I never said anything. I was just going numb to my waist what for weeks. Happened? What happened exactly? Did you get, do you it hit somebody? Just contact. It was just contact. It was just always, I loved that part of the game. You know, the, the contact part of the game was really, I lived for that. Once, mm -hmm. once you learn, once you learn what you can do with your momentum and, and, uh, you want to, you can get a lot of things done on the field. It's fun, but it, it was, it taught me a lot about your will and your want to and everything. But, uh, but all of a sudden that was taken from me when I, when I realized I couldn't compete anymore. Uh, they said you could be a quadriplegic really easy. Uh, cause I was just, I couldn't feel anything from my waist up for weeks at a time. And I got crap. That must be scary. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't let it get in the way. I didn't let anybody know. Um, and then really? finally, I, finally, when I did do it, they, the doctor would push on my head, and and you could, I could feel everything numb really fast. He said, you, you, "Your nerve is entrapped, and it's just a matter of time before you sever your whole nerve by doing that." I just love the contact side of the game. Um, once you learn to 
what you can do with your momentum, your, um, I think you just, your will to give up. I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain what you learn from athletics and, mm -hmm. but, uh, I, I, all of a sudden I just couldn't do it. And that was, I couldn't identify with that. So what I, what I've done is in college, I played football and I threw the javelin, but I've also wrestled freestyle Greco-Roman, competitive powerlifted, you know, just a dozen, dozens of other things, you know, um, but, uh, Really, so you never loves, you never did art up until that point. I tried to paint a little bit one time. That was it. Did um, you have any natural talent, or were you like the artist of the class, or anything like that? <laughs> no, nothing really? like that. Yeah, I always used to admire people in art class. So like, wow, oh, these guys really, they really seem to be good at what they do, you know. And this is just high school, you know. Wow. And then what I had to do anyway when I. When I I was offered a job as a training coach, and I, I turned it down as a major university because I, when I couldn't compete anymore, I didn't know what to do with myself, and it was really unusual. And at that point, I, I had a major life experience that I should earn my life to over to Christ, and, and it changed everything. Um, I had no idea I'd be painting, and you'd get a kick out of this, but I had to take an art class anyway to graduate. Mm -hmm. And I started taking art classes, and I even, even though I didn't care for what I was being taught, it was pretty different for different sake. Um, I was really intrigued by it. My grandfather was in wheelchairs, and he he lived about an hour away, and so I'd go see him once in a while, and he'd paint everyone every once in a while. So the smell of paint and to watch him do it was about all I was exposed to. But when I had to take this art class, Jeff, I didn't, I had no idea I'd be interested. And it changed everything. My my desires just completely shifted. Um, not that I, I I actually missed athletics so much. I didn't know what to do, but I but I was completely uh, absorbed in this, and it was a thing I've never been able to find the end of. You know, it's just it's always there. It's just something to do. Always something to learn. And yeah, really fascinating thing the way I got there. So how old were you when you took this art class? I was a, a senior in college. So what, like 22 maybe? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about this art class. You said they were being different for different sakes. So I assume it was what yeah. most of us experienced. You just more of a, a modern yeah. take on art, yeah. right? Yeah, it was, it was not, even, not even that. It was just, it was, uh, you know, I mean, and I, I have a great, respect for the need for um, abstraction and work and yeah of course and, and everything else but i never they didn't teach that kind of thing it was more just to you know it's all about just like letting your feelings come out and you can't uh I've, what i've come to realize is it's pretty tough to if you can't rein in your knowledge with your emotion you're not gonna really have anything you're gonna you I, that i'm gonna like you know yeah, it's like yeah. it's like saying a poem when you're a mute, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but to people that live under this um, thing, whatever that is, that uh, if they can just you know do that touchy feely thing, that's that's good enough for them somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, it just wasn't for me, so I it gave me a start though, and and then I just wanted to. So when I graduated, I was off. Oh, wait, was... don't don't go too fast though, because <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm really okay. curious about this. So I don't, I don't understand. So you're in this touchy feely class 
that is yeah. nothing like what you're doing now, yeah. you would, I would think that it would be, it would put a sort of a sour taste in your mouth. I mean, you're an athlete, you've never even thought about art, you're, and your first exposure to art is touchy-feely. That's not like an environment that I expect an athlete to thrive in, much less, I mean, this is totally, yeah. I'm totally, totally uh, uh, thinking in stereotypes I here. I know, but I, sh and I shouldn't be, but that's fine. yeah, but but I'm, I'm imagining this athlete in this class and it's all touchy feely, express yourself, blah, blah, blah. What was it? There must've been something about the class that despite all the things you weren't drawn to that captured your attention, what in the class was it that made you fall in love with art? I don't know that it was art itself at the time. Hmm. Um, so what happened is I started, you know, what I did love doing is going out and fly fishing and things like that. And I was in Northwest Panhandle, Nebraska, and I would drive 35 miles away to this little stream called Soldier Creek. And I'd walk up and down the stream and watch what was happening with the trout and how they were. I was just so intrigued with being outside all of my life I have been. Mm -hmm. And that's where it started. And then I'd go out and try to bring paints out because I started reading things like, I think I was reading uh, Wilson Hurley at the time, even way back then. Mm -hmm. And how I started being interested in in what was being done, and it wasn't that kind of. We don't have the. We didn't have the level of um, uh, how to just to search these things out much at the time compared to what we do now. Uh, but I, I was so intrigued, and I started putting paints together, and I'd go outside and paint, and it was just horrible. I mean, bad is one thing, but ugly. Ooh. That, that was, a, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I loved being there. And it really got frustrating to me because I wanted to learn what I needed to know to go out and do this and to take, bring this back because, you know, the memories I started realizing at that point, I think it was because I, well, I, I knew it was because I lost my whole identity and who I was as a, what I thought I would end up doing my whole life uh, didn't end up that way. Hmm. And then what happened to me is I just found another way to see things, and it was my eyes were pretty open to a unique world that I wasn't ever exposed to. So I'm still not I'm still not sure I understand it. So you took the class, <laughs> you took the yeah. class, but you're also an outdoorsman. So so I'm assuming you're spending time fly fishing and hiking or whatever it is you do outdoors, and and at the same time you're taking this class. Yeah. What, took, what where was the connection? Where, 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 how did you roll the art into the outdoors when that's not well, what they were talking a, about in the classroom? I decided to take it into a, a education to art education, right? My, my degree. Oh, okay. Uh, and um, because I thought, well, I can always coach too, because I will. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll do both. And uh, so I got an art degree and that's how that happened. But I, I really looked at it just as a degree to teach because I thought it would be interesting and really intriguing to me to do. Mm -hmm. And I could still have the athletic side of it. And so I did, after I, after I did graduate, I, I did teach for one year, um, but uh, in Dubois, Wyoming, K-12. Hmm. And, uh, but, and, and I was married and had a, and I'm getting ahead of myself again, I know. Well, so I, yeah, I, let's I, stay, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm still curious about this whole <laughs> thing. So, okay, so another question I have is your, mm -hmm. you took this class, then you went outside. Yeah. My assumption is, correct me if I'm wrong, that the class just sort of planted a seed that art was an yeah. option 
and yeah. you found it somewhat interesting, but you also love the outdoors. And then you, and you decided, well, maybe I can try making art of the outdoors. Right. Is that what happened right. there? Okay. Yeah. So then you go on yeah, the outdoors just... and you do crappy paintings. Why didn't you just give up at that point and say, I'm not an artist. What in the heck am I doing? I was just uh, intrigued with what I was seeing. You know, I would, I would go to the library and I'd look at a lot of different things that I could find about painting magazines or whatever it was. And I just started looking into what it would take to be an artist. And I thought, man, I would love to do that. I just, what I love about uh, being outdoors is just the memories you get. And uh, the clarity of the memories for me were, were such a big part of it. Hmm. And so I would go out there. I, I you know, it was like, a, a, it's hard to explain, Jeff, but it was like it opened it a whole other world to me because I was so hyper-focused on athletics that when I couldn't compete, I, I just somehow poured everything into this. Um, the, man, the, the, the ability to learn to see was something I'd never thought about. You know, I, I, I know what I was listening to in the classes where, you know, these guys articulate about things that I didn't buy into that much, but because it was just different, you know, it's like, well, look at this, isn't this great because it's so different, right? Mm -hmm. That didn't do anything for me. In fact, the instructor, the the department had what he called the uh, the generic art show. So he he traced things like the Mona Lisa with black and white marker, and he had the whole the whole room full of uh, black and white images that he traced. And he just he called it generic art. And uh, you know that was the, that was the head of the department. And it was really hard to watch because it's just like it just it seemed like a mockery to me um, and just a joke. But um, he just was hard to take serious. So I never really took him serious, but he didn't like me because I was I still uh, even though I couldn't compete in football, I was throwing the javelin for the track team. And so he didn't like me much at all because athletes and artists, right, they don't really mix. Yeah. These don't mix all that much, yeah. Just for the record, I like sports too. I mean, I wasn't the athlete you were, but. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that I was either. I just more, it's all I knew though. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, the disciplines I've learned from that sport, I thought I would push it into what I do, I'm starting to get excited about. And I got I got married at the time, at the end of my college days, and uh, had a son and graduated. And um, I decided I wanted, I wanted to be an artist. Turned down a job as a training coach. Well, you were married with a kid at the time? As a, as a senior, yep. What in the heck? Okay, can you, for context, what, <laughs> what about what year was this? That, that you were married and you're like, about did, when did you decide you want to be an artist? About 83. 83, so I wasn't the whole world telling you that you're insane? That there's no okay. way you can make a living doing this? Yeah, it wasn't everybody's best idea that this is what I ought to do. But so I what gave you the courage? To... Say it again? What gave you the courage? Uh, pretty blind faith. Did, did you some, something tell you deep down that it was going to work out? Is that what you mean? I mean, because faith is sort yeah, of I obscure. Do. You know, it's like what you could have faith in yourself. You could have faith in God. You could have faith in something that's been revealed to you in some way. I mean, what faith in what? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, definitely in God. That that is when I changed a lot of my perspective on things. Right. And at that point, what happened to me was I started, I started valuing things different. Okay. 
I, there's things I didn't, you know, it wasn't always about me, but, it, but what did it, what was it about uh, what I wanted to do possibly for the rest of my life? And all I could think of was I just wanted to be outdoors. And, and that was so crazy to me because I still in the back of my mind wanted to break down every offensive play in the playbook and understand defensively what's happening. This what's coming at you. What's, I mean, all of a sudden this whole thing just shifted. I set it aside. I didn't, it was my love, right? It was the only thing I knew. And I set it aside and realized that I couldn't go there. And mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was a mental gymnastics of some sort. But what happened, Jeff, is I, I just started getting excited about life in a different way. Mm -hmm. Being married and having a son, I was like, okay, this changes everything. But do I really want to take a job as a training coach? And I, I decided I wanted to be an art educator and, and coach on the side. So, I thought so I would, art ended up trumping your sports in a way. In a way, I mean, I didn't see another way out. I didn't. I, I if I wasn't competing, I didn't enjoy it as much. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. I mean, I didn't. I I didn't um, look at the game through the coach's eyes often. I was. I did later on, but hmm. the more I did, the more I was like, okay, it's technical. It's understandable that we can. I can figure this out. But what was really intriguing to me is what I couldn't figure out was all this beauty I was out seeing, and I was going, I, I got to do something with this. And I, I know it's crazy, but I would go out to go just paint outside and bring those paintings back, and I got all kinds of ridicule from it. And uh, you got ridicule from who? Yeah, just like you know, that's been done before stuff. Oh, right, right, yeah, and from the art world in general, yeah, yeah. And the instructors did not encourage it at all. And then he didn't really care for me either. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really unique. He didn't like this shock come into the art department. It was just really weird. Mm -hmm. And there was another mind who played on the football team too. That, and we became good friends. He he did a lot of illustration later on with Coca-Cola and some big companies. But yeah, it was just a it was just a, a time that I can't explain to you other than I had a big shift in in my um, understanding of values. So tell me what more I, about this faith. Okay. <clears throat> it's not a, it's okay. obviously not a religious channel uh, or maybe yeah. that's not so obvious to some people as the painter of Christ yeah. over here. But um, did, is it that you believed the reason I want to know is because I have a similar experience. People always told me, you know, like they do many of us, it can't be done. And I had this, this, yeah. this stupid, call it faith, call it overconfidence, call it ignorance. And just like, well, I'm going to be the exception. That was my attitude, yeah. you know, and it wasn't yeah. arrogance. It was just like, I just felt like it was going to happen. I just, I'm curious yeah. what, if you could describe a little deeper, what you mean by faith as it relates to your future as an artist. I knew I only believed in one thing about me and that is that I worked hard at things. Okay. And I could, I could, I had faith in that part of me. Okay. Outside of God, I, I needed somebody bigger than me. And when I, when I realized that I needed God in my life, it really changed. It changed my whole direction. It changed my want to. You know, I wanted to do things different that I didn't even realize. I, I got excited about uh, having a moral base in life and having some reason to do it, uh, reason to live uh, different. You know, it was, it wasn't all about just accomplishing something. Because even when you get to the end of those things and you get the, 
you get an award for it or whatever it is, uh, and you win a certain thing, it just doesn't isn't is empty still, you know. And yeah. and what I realized, I didn't I didn't have I wasn't getting the things I wanted out of it, and I didn't dislike it. By the way, it made me who I was, and I took that same discipline and tried to put it into what I thought was really fun thing to do. And I thought, well, why not teach art? Because I think this is really a fun thing to do, and I would love to learn to be an artist. And I just started putting my time into it and started studying a lot of everything I could find that I thought was really, I'd find the best painters I could find possibly um, through studying. And, and then I tried to, and I lived in Lander, Wyoming, which was about three hours from Jackson, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And Jackson Hole at the time was just becoming an art mecca. And I started to learn of some artists that were there and, and the galleries at the time. Trailside was a really huge gallery at the time there. And I'd go to look at work by people like Clyde Aspervig and Bill Reese and Bob Barlow. Um, a lot of the older painters that, you know, were the painters at the time. Mm-hmm. And they started the museum there, the, the Museum of National Museum of Western Art. So I'd go over there after... When I decided I wanted to start this project of learning to paint, I, I, instead of going down a teaching degree job, I decided to deliver newspapers to vending machines. So I delivered newspapers to vending machines, made about 500 bucks a month doing that, and working extremely hard on painting. All so the time. you're not living on 500 bucks a month, are you? Yeah, yeah. What? With a kid and wife? In the eighties, well, and I was trying to sell. I was trying to sell paintings. I'd go to mall shows and all kinds of things, but but they, I weren't. I was viewing it as an education. I viewed it not any different than if I'm going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or anything else. I've got to put my time in, and if I really want to do this, I've got to put my time in. And I can't afford to go to a school. I don't even know where to go. I'm just going to start putting all of my time into study. So I worked really hard for a few years. Went to Dubois, Wyoming. I came back to my hometown of Lander and stayed for a couple of years and did that. And then went to Dubois, Wyoming, took on a, took a job as a as a teacher and a coach there. And teacher of what? An art teacher. Oh, you did. Okay. I taught K, taught K through 12. Okay. And the whole time I'm using it as a study to develop as a painter. And mm-hmm. I painted all the time. I um, I coached and, and on the weekends you're coaching, you know, at school takes up all your time. And then I would late at night, I'd be painting until midnight and go into work. And, and I was just, uh, I did that for one year and I decided to, to pull the plug because I was going to, you know, art shows on the weekends if I could find a place to do it and make extra money on the side. And that extra would just buy enough materials to get, get by, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's the way I viewed it as an education. And finally, then I went into a gallery in Jackson. Um, it was Jack Dennis Gallery over in Jackson. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a fly fishing shop, basically turned into gallery as well. And then I I was just viewing this as an education, Jeff. I was going, okay, now that I'm going to do this, I'm going I want to get better as a painter still, and I know I have to get better. So what I'm going to do is sell things for very inexpensive and do a lot of volume of work studying. And I was studying Carl Rungus at the time because we had the museum there. Yeah, that's Jackson. convenient. <laughs> and it was there, and I would I'd go there and copy paintings and look at. I'd go th- up to Calgary into Canada, and we would. I'd look at paintings, you know, over 
3,000 studies of Carl Rungus. Hmm. And you can see the, the good, the bad, the totally ridiculous, you know, paintings of his and see where his growth really started and see. And I just learned so much by the volume that I saw of his. Didn't he? And, and Carl Rungus was, he was a wildlife painter as well, right? Yes, correct. So yeah. you, so you played around with a little bit of wildlife in the beginning or did you I just focus on the landscape? Everything. Okay. Everything at the beginning. I mean, I, you know, I had the whole duck coming out of the water with the beads of water coming off his back mm -hmm. and, you know, the, everything detailed, hyper detailed for a while. And then, and then I started seeing impressionistic work and got more intrigued by that. Um, there's so many different things that influenced me. Be so and interesting right to see some of this early work. It's a really cool story. Yeah, it's a, it is interesting. I came about it pretty, pretty redneck way. Um, hmm. I just had to want to, you know, yeah. what I understood, what I understood about me is that I could, I could work and find my way through it. Okay. So I, you believed about yourself that you had the work ethic. Yeah. And your end goal was always to be a fine artist. I'm assuming the teaching was just a that, stepping stone. Okay. That was a stepping stone. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you must've felt like if you do something meaningful in your life, things will just work out. Yeah. And you know, we would, but I would do things like sell 25 paintings at a time for a certain, um, you know, not that much, but it was enough to keep us going all the time, hmm. you know, and you just, you just make it and just get by. Right. And it was exciting to move into Jackson because Jackson was a, an up and coming place at the time. And it's still, still the old West to me, you know, it was just the, I love being outdoors and love fly fishing. I love being, going into the mountains and the Wind River mountains and, and doing camping and hiking and things like that. And that all fed that need to try to show people the things that are exciting to me, hmm. these memories that you get and developed by being outside. Um, hmm. You know that little flash of, I was reading Hemingway earlier when he was talking about watching people getting out of cars as they come up to, everybody gets out of the car different when they come to the museum show or whatever they do, and, and just paying attention to how different everything looks, right? Yeah. And the more, I, the more I started doing that, I started understanding the relationship of things, one set of colors to another, how a relationship of masses would meet how how they would affect each other mm -hmm. and i just study became more and more in depth all the time mm. and, and the more i read the more i got intrigued and the more i'd go to museums and the real life change was um at that point the real life change for me was went to sweden with dan gerhardt's oh i didn't know you were friends with dan gerhardt's okay yeah we were we uh we went to sweden to study andrew zorn Hmm. And Zorn is probably my biggest influence. I said. Really? I never yeah. would have guessed. Yeah, no. Definitely. What about his work? I mean, obviously it's amazing, yeah. but what? Yeah, I don't see the connection. That's <laughs> a. It's intriguing, isn't it? I mean, if I could take you through images after image, there's so much I've learned. One is that he painted with gouache a lot more than I thought. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw watercolor for a while, but then I started realizing. Man, the, the stuff he understood with the gouache and, and how he would develop these paintings was just crazy, mm. crazy good. I'll show you some close-ups, you'd just blow your mind. Mm. But got, we were there when Prince Eugene let out a major collection of work to see, and we went to see it all. And 
there were well over a hundred pieces of work in there. And, and I um, took a lot of close-ups. What I learned from him the most was just his ability to edit and to get right to the core of Yeah. Especially color. Color, he just didn't allow it to get in the way. He found a way to not let, not let color get in the way and use it how he wanted to use it. And it wasn't about that. It was about a, a mood and about a what he wanted to convey. And he just goes straight at it. It just seemed so... The paintings seem not colorless, but um, but set up to just show you exactly how he saw it. Mm -hmm. I could see that in his work, and I saw for the first time I'd seen Zorn's work, I saw the layering and the number of times he'd work over these things. Oh, started I wasn't aware, really. Oh, so many layers, yes. Do you think those layers were meant to build up paint or were they literally just reworking to work out problems uh both i think really? i think both. yeah i think he he experimented a lot you can see um if we could share a screen i can show you some of that but i think we'd get a little confused on that yeah i might be i don't think i can do that <laughs> okay but i can pull it but up on my screen so here it is here's i appreciate you sending that to me so here's the zorin stuff yeah. so yeah what were your tell me a little bit more about that trip and what your thoughts were seeing Zorn? Well, I, I, uh, I realized really quickly after, well, not quickly. I mean, I'm one of those that has to take a lot of notes on things and mm -hmm. understand what I'm seeing. And, and, uh, what I was fascinating by fascinated by mostly was his, especially a whole lot of oils. We don't, we don't have a, that many in here, but so many paintings did were just they weren't like full of color, but they were they were a lot cooler than I expected them to be. Really? In temperature, yeah. And the reds were the things that came up in color, the reds and ochres and things like that. But outside of that, they're very cool paintings. They weren't overly colorful or anything like you that. You think that's because of his use of black and his only real chromatic color was red, right? Usually. Yeah. Usually. Yeah, yeah. And I think he introduced blue on occasion. I've got some photos of that too, but... Um, he didn't he just didn't do it until he needed it you could tell mm -hmm. he started putting it in toward the end and you could see that influencing and coming throughout the painting then um but the more you study the layers of, of what he did the more intriguing I, more intrigued i got but i think what i realized is just how controlled everything was what do you I mean, mean by I, that the control the, the value control the um the control of he would work and work over this thing until he got the reflected light that he wanted until he got the light versus shadow you know you just see the layering go into it until it just until it started coming up the way he wanted it and you can yeah that's a good one right there there's two of them right there there's a, the, the original or the whole original i don't know if it's in there let's see if there's a let me see if there's a better way to go through these images it's going to be tricky well, this is a, is this a good one though to? Well, you can see the layering for sure. Yeah. You know what's interesting about this one when you when you sent this, I thought this this is really colorful. This almost looks like yeah Soroya, yeah. not Zorn. Yeah, yeah. Well, there it's more muted than this. You know, this the camera. Oh, that, is it? Yeah, just a little bit. Um, but that little it's only just a bit. Hmm. You can really see the how close those values are from the shadow and the skin just on her breasts and the right far right. Mm -hmm. The far right, just the color of the water versus her breast on the 
far right. Yeah, yeah you squint we, down, it almost disappears. Always, always found a way to make it a part of the painting, you know? And everything he painted, I mean, there's one of this particular, this exact lady in your group there that shows her hair against the background, the same lady. Okay, and, uh, let me see. This one here? No. No, that's the lady sitting next to her, but... The one with see. the hair in the background, which one is that? All right, let's see if I can find it. No, it's the... Just go straight up from your arrow. Yeah, right there. Hmm. And you can see how, you know, her hair, her head is a part of the background. When he was painting outdoors, he was always watching how things married together and how this, these arts became one big unit, you know? Yeah, it's almost like a it's almost like another hedge or another 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 <laughs> exactly. bunch of trees. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and you know, the layering you'd never you'd never realize unless you saw them up close. You just would never see it. Um, even these are not showing that well. You know, we're getting yeah, it's a little blurry. It's a little blurry, but I'll tell you the the close-ups of them, you can just see the layering and the layering. You can see the same colors oftentimes in the skin as you see in the background anywhere. You know, it just it has just found ways of doing it, and his his biggest saturation points were under the like the breasts, the far left, the ears, those kind of things. You know, you could just see that outside of that, everything was just a controlled neutrals, mm. and, and very neutral. But man, he would richen up those darks when he needed them. Um, but he he would just he just had a sensitivity to the whole like nobody I know, you know, the orchestration is the word I always come up with when I see his work. Mm -hmm. And the more I saw of his work, the more intrigued I got. And still to this day, even to this day, I was talking to Dan uh, Gearhart yesterday about this, where he going, he said, do you still have those slides? Or I, just, I can't, I don't know if I can find mine. I said, yeah, yeah, I've got some of them, but the close-ups, I'm still learning from them. I'm intrigued at the number of different ways he solved problems, the the layering that he would do to do it. But, you know, and then I realized early on the gouaches that, and how, how that filled that, that was a big part of how he, it informed his oils. You could tell by the way he painted them. There's a gouache right there. Um, those are three up there. They're kind of earlier, the top left, the earlier three, four, five. Yeah, this is mind blowing. Yeah, isn't that? Yeah, yeah, and they almost, I mean, he's obviously using a lot of transparent gouache. Like down here, yeah. it, it feels almost like a watercolor. Yeah. And the water almost like watercolor. Yeah. But there's, hmm. yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely started more that way. And, you know, he started introducing it, you could tell. And then gradually, the he started using more body and the color. And um, especially the bigger ones we'll look at later. But you can see that this, the what I would call these earlier stages of watercolor gouache hmm. and the importance of those lights and the reflected lights that he was using in there. How the heck do you control the freaking values in gouache? It is so hard. Oh, I know. I, you have to almost think of it as a pattern. When you put a pattern through it, you know, it dries, you go, oh, got to adjust it again. Yeah. It's too, too dark. Too so light. you're finding yeah. even at, with all your experience, you're still kind of adjusting? Always. always, always. Like I'm going, for instance, if I would have put, uh, see the pattern where you have the hand in there. 
down here right in the, back, the background that that uh, tree oh right here above her, head, above her head yeah okay yeah so that dark let's say that dark pattern right in there so if i painted it or too light or too dark or too whatever it is i'll just put another layer on and i realize that how much is going to come through by the transparency of the of the color or opaqueness of the color and you know you just wear him on a carry that thing and, and he'll move that value around and i've got to do it i'll move it from that tree to the far distant rock where that lady is to the bottom left rock darks and i'll move them around just like a big pattern and when i'm painting i have to do it that way because there's so many elements that the only way i can marry them together is to think of the complete look of the painting and how it's all going to I'm not sure work. I understand what you mean. So are you saying that you'll lay in the tree, the rock and the rock that I just hovered over at the same time, thinking of it as all one dark pattern? Is that what you mean? For instance, I might have to repaint it a dozen times until I get it where I want. Yeah. And, and so I'll put that pattern in until and that that's not right or I'll adjust the temperature of the light. Okay. Um, and and the, the transition from the darkest dark out. Um, and you're always working on, it's almost like you're putting a pattern in it and, and making it fit. Okay. And making it fit. And, and when I'm dealing with gouache and when I'm dealing with oil, I feel like I'm doing the same thing. I'm always- Except with oil, you don't have to chase the value. I mean, I'm sure exactly. you get there faster yeah. with oil, I would think. Yeah, you do, yeah. you do. But the experimenting that goes into gouache is what I find in oil is very useful. Because when I, when I, when I don't, hesitate to try another pattern on top of another pattern and watch how they merge. Mm. I can, I can get a lot of varieties in there without this subtle, but they're, they're carried throughout. Just because yeah. you know that if you lay in a whole new value wet into wet, you're going to make a mess eventually. Yeah. 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 In oil. And with, and with gouache, you've got to go, even with oil, when I'm going to put another pattern on top of another one, it's usually dry. If it's not dry, it's going to be within that mass, and I'm going to watch how it merges just the same way. Right. How they going to how are they going to hold as a unit? And to me, that's you know, <laughs> this is it does blow your mind. It makes you laugh and smile, and it's a whole idea of putting this green bush in the front and everything. You know, I mean, it's got yeah. so much dimension to it, doesn't it? Yeah, there really is. It's really amazing, and there's so little to it at the same time. Yeah, it's so yeah. complex and yet so simple. I mean, look at the paper. I think that's paper underneath. I'm thinking right it here. is. You'll find this intriguing, Jeff. When we went to the, then we went to Mora to go his hometown to go see his museum there, mm -hmm. and another show, another exhibition there. And when you walked out of the exhibition into the, in the entry, they were selling watercolor sets, and everybody's buying them. Really. Yeah, there's everybody wanted to be a watercolorist at this point. <laughs> yeah. And, and they just didn't realize what they were looking at. And I sure didn't. And I still don't. Um, I mean, I still am trying to learn from so many of those images and yeah, just the variety of ways of thinking that that guy did. Yeah. I mean, it's just really intricate and yet, and yet thinking of the whole all the time. Let me just take a minute to plug my sponsor, Rosemary Brushes. These are not rosemary brushes. I'm a brush junkie. So when I go to an art supply store, I have to admit on occasion, I will be tempted to buy a brush, even though it's not from rosemary, but it's rare. And here's the reason why it's rare, because this is what happens to other brands. This is a 
basically a new brush. I bought it last summer. And this one right here, a good brand, supposedly, the hairs are coming, literally coming right out. This brand, also a well-known brand, got this last year, already the ferrule busted off. Now I could glue it on, but why should I have to glue it on? Brushes are expensive. This needs to be crimped better. So why do I love Rosemary brushes? Two reasons. One, because they're an amazing company and their brushes are freaking high quality. This brush from Rosemary is a good example. It's gorgeous, it's tight, it's well-made, and it'll last forever if you take care of it. The other reason is because Rosemary is an amazing family-owned company. They provide amazing service. They're awesome people to work with, and you can't go wrong by buying their product. So for your next painting, head over to rosemaryandco.com and pick up some more brushes. Yeah. And that's what I got out of this the most. You know what? I can't stop looking at this little figure back here. No, it's, I love no. this painting, but that is a, that is a strange little figure right up in there. Yeah, she's like I, I think I, she's doing yoga. I think so. Ready to dive in or something? <laughs> oh yeah, maybe she's so. diving in, but she's gonna yeah, land head first in that rock right there. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, that wasn't that. That part is keeps drawing me back too, and I <laughs> I don't know how to. I mean, I look at that many times and go, I don't know how else I would put that in, or I, if I put it in at all. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, it's it's. Is this really is this also a gouache? Yeah. Yeah. Again, very wet, very watercolory. I mean, you do definitely see yeah. white in here. Definitely building up the white, but it's like. It's more of an accent. Yeah, but he's got body in the paint. You can see it on the right in the rocks, even the the rock in the very far bottom bottom right. Mm -hmm. Oh, here, right there, right down in the bottom there. Mm -hmm. He's got a body, and he's got body in the color, and he starts developing that more as he starts progressing with gouache further and doing larger pieces. And I, I just see that his application in oil paint looks very similar. In, in the sense that it's got layers like this and yeah, and it's just, you know, it's just one layer after another. And it's like, you put a dark pattern on and, and watch how it sets in. Hmm. And that's, you know, I'd say the just, same thing about your work, your gouache and your oils look very similar. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they definitely do. They definitely inform each other to me. I, I use them. I, I use them as that. Um, hmm. That one, your mark. Oh, that one's killer when you're on yeah wait is this I mean, this, this is gouache too that's a gouache it's about a that was probably about a 20 by 30 maybe oh my gosh yeah yeah you can tell it's, this was this one of those ones covered in glass you see the reflections yeah, from the museum yeah yeah and i don't know if there's a close-up but you you can't have really any idea of just how close valued that thing is until you start so and the more you yeah I mean, you can't have, you can't do that in watercolor. You'd have to have a, a body to that paint to go back into it that many ways, that many times. Wait, I don't understand. What do you mean? What, what can't you, you have do? Have, it, well, I think you'd have to have some body to the paint, meaning it's gotta be gouache-like to manage this. To manage the limited value range? Is that what you're saying? The value range and the and nuance in there. Oh, okay. Because, you know, watercolor would get too dirty too fast. It just all of a sudden, when you do that many layers, it's gone. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah and and uh, he, he, no other way you could get that. I don't know, though. Have you seen Nick Alm's watercolors? I have. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. I'd love to see those. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's... he's. Oof. 
I, I can't get him on the podcast. So for all my listeners, <laughs> yeah. raid Nick Alm <laughs> with emails requesting to get him on my podcast. Anyway, well, let's look at a closer. Let's look at a close up of his, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, all right, let's, let's see. see. There's, there's oh, two here, of right them. here. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little blurry, but I can kind of get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, to manage that, you he's, he's got body in that paint, meaning he's got enough enough white in it so he can go over it in layers, you know. Okay, so Just I have a, a question for you about composition. So you, I see you as a master of composition, absolutely. And so I'm really interested in your opinion on this. Okay. The main praise, or I would say the praise that you've um, given him the most, at least, is how close his values are and how subtle they are and how yeah. he's joining shapes together that are similar values, like that one with the breast and the water. But yep. composition, when, when, when many artists teach composition, they teach doing like little thumbnails where you break it down into a light, dark pattern. And some people would argue that if you don't have a strong light, dark pattern, you don't have a strong composition. Yeah. So, but yet he seems to be breaking that rule on some of these paintings know, where if you do it in black and white, it will, it'll fall apart maybe, or won't it? I don't know. It, well, you know, but look at the finest dark in her hands in the bottom left right in here. Yeah, that, that warm dark right there, he uses it in other parts of the painting. And that might be his heaviest dark. Right, that's what I'm saying. So how- and I know, it's just really, I mean, that key is so crazy. Look at her back on the left, just go left on- um, Oh, on the back, yeah. Two more, yeah, right there. Yeah, there's like, there's like, I mean, it's maybe 10% maybe gray yeah, to 30% right? gray, the whole thing. But you can see where the color is. I mean, there's blues, yellows, reds, yeah. and there it is. And outside of that, he's pushed everything else into just a real basic understanding that's so, so complicated. So what are your thoughts on that, on, on co composing with limited values? Well, I can see him pushing the values closer in the outside of this, like he's doing with the breast, the, the color location of the warms, the cools, mm -hmm. the yellow, reds, blues right there are all orchestrated and keeping toward the middle of the painting. Everything else is, I mean, he's got patterns in this, but you have to see the whole painting again to see that. Um, yeah, let's pull that back up. It's a really close value painting, but, uh, you know, I think the one thing I've, I've realized is that what, to manage what he's doing, it really informed his oils. Um, I, look at the, I mean, what a great frame on that too. Jeez. Yeah, it's cool. Oh, this really I don't think is a great example because I feel like there is a good, even though the darks aren't terribly dark, there is still a good, pretty strong light and dark pattern. You got this strong yeah, sweeping yeah. dark down here. Well, yeah. not so much strong, but you got a clear dark down <clears throat> here. You got this clear dark line coming through here. And then yeah, it's yeah. a little dark through here. But, but like, what's that other one we looked at? Let me see. I guess it would be this one. Well, I guess that's the same way. So maybe that's a stupid question. I mean, he is keeping There's his values close together, but I guess he still does have a good, strong light and dark relationship. And we're not looking at the biggest image that, or uh, the whole image of this lady on the right, our right bottom. Our right bottom right here. Yeah, right there. That arm of hers is on the left right there. Okay. 
this is like a 30 by 40. And I don't yeah, have to look whole... at those values. They're so close together. Oh my God, I know. And I mean, where's the full one? Oh, this is the full one right here. Oh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, a little blurry, but yeah. But again, if you look at the whole painting, it's still got a strong light and dark pattern. Yeah, exactly. So I guess it's not a contrast. So he is doing that most of the time, at least. Yeah, and it looks like to me, he he started put, um, you know, like Sergeant at the end of his career, it seemed like he put his darks in last more. Really? And, yeah, I see. I can see him as up close. I've got um, a lot of sergeants where I can see the up close. The only way I can see it is the up close shots. And, you can, and what I found is that most of the time outdoors, I eat up my darks. And I come back and put the dark pattern back in. You eat them up, meaning because of because of painting just, wet into wet, they sort of go gray or not gray, but they go. Like, yeah. That's what happens with my portraits too. And yeah, yeah. But I find it a benefit because it forces you to come back in and add layers. Exactly right. You know, yeah, like, it's a whole other layer of, of learn mm -hmm. learns things that that you can only get to by breaking it up so far that you break it down and come back to it with another pattern again. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You've come to the same conclusion with landscape painting. I, oh, boy. Uh, I just talked about this, the last workshop and people were like, well, is that the dark value of the face? I'm like, no, it's, I've been not cleaning my brush. So it's, you know, the lights <laughs> and the darks have sort of blended together a little bit, but I want that because I want to mm -hmm. be able to do more layers and build up body and yeah. 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 So that is that you're saying the same thing with your landscapes. Oh, and I could see where Sergeant was taking his classical approach and, and really pumping light into the shadows mm -hmm. and really watching how that transition from the shadow to the light was, it's almost like, have you ever looked into the shadows outdoors in the rocks or something? It's just washed out. Yeah. Hardly any color in there. And then there's a few colors way down dark, but he would try to find that relationship first and then he'd start putting his darks in last. And then I started finding that my paintings had more cohesive feel to them. If I started keying everything off of my dark outdoors, I'd get in big trouble. Oh, but I, started I can't that. wait to talk about your paintings. I want to know more about that. Yeah, it used to, it used to give me the most trouble I could think of. But I didn't know what I was doing until I started more studying what Sargent was doing with it and what Zorn was doing. Would you say Sargent's the same? is the same as Zorn in that he would also use lots of layers and, 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 uh, kind of work out his painting layer after layer. I don't know that he was pretty brief with him, but he'd have a middle value in there that would hold everything together and he would watch how everything compared to it. He could just, you could see that he, his dark, there's dark as darks would come in last. And I can show you images of those that were just for you because you're like, without the dark as darks, it wouldn't read, but without, being able to see the patterns for what they are, if he had the darks in, it would dictate. If he had his heavy darks in too, too soon, it would dictate his next color. And it, it, it's almost as though he stayed in the middle as long as he could and then put his dark pattern in, let it blast. So that it would act as his most Okay, I, I want to learn more about that. So this is, okay, what do you mean by it would dictate the darkest dark, if he applied it early on, it would dictate the well, like color I, of the I'm, light? I noticed that if I'm painting outdoors, for instance, and I'm trying to understand something, it's nice for me to have some darks in there to understand it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. How am I going to get the read? We, from we that? need to pull up your work while we talk about this. Let's go to your work real quick. Uh, is there a particular? 
All right, let's see. I'm just going to pull up. Is there a particular painting that might be appropriate for this? And I don't know what's in there. I'm not positive how old these are. Um, let's go to Instagram because we know it's new stuff. Okay. All right, let's say this gouache. Is gouache fitting for this conversation? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's a gorgeous gouache, by the way. Okay, so all right. Now, so tell me what you mean by that. So the darkest darks would would force you to dictate the color in your lights, and you don't want that. What do you mean by that? Well, I need to figure out how the darks are going to fit into the painting. For instance, you take your arrow that goes straight down. Okay. To that cliff and then go down inside to the dark is right there to the left. Yeah. Okay, so that's got a lot of blue in it, right? Yeah. Well, that, and it's also got a, a little darker version above it and, and a little darker below it. But how that dark fits with the entire painting is way more important than how I saw that dark to begin with. Oh. So if I keep that thing in too dark at the beginning, I wouldn't find a way to relate it to the background. Okay, because you have no background. Because... You would yeah, I have, to, you have to paint the relationship first. So you get the you get the midtones first. You keep it limited in value. Yeah. yeah. You build the picture, and then you use you use the darks as almost like uh like the icing on the cake. But you can now have something to relate yeah. it to and make the darks really pop. And and then, and then I go slightly darker, Jeff. So you know, above that arrow, you can see that right above the arrow, there's a little warmer dark right there. Right. Yeah. Right here. Yeah, yeah. Oh and no! Right, right here. here. That's, yep. Yeah. Go up that rock, and you see it right up the point up there. Another one. Mm, up here. Right to the right, right, to the right, right where you were, right there. Yeah. Up a little, up a little bit. That little dark right there, that separates that from the background. Okay. But that's the same exact value as the one below it. The same exact value as those darks way over in the far left. Those were my last marks in the thing. Really. Because that now. That dark, I can find that dark as per how it fits into the entire scheme. But if I keyed everything to the darkest dark and I got really heavy in my dark, I would change the whole look of the background. Can you describe what the background used to look like when you were making that mistake? What what are specific things? Well, so, so go right back into that shadow now. This one here? Right down in there. So. If I got really dark in there, that that blue right left of it is going to go darker too. Okay. My light is likely going to go darker. So everything gradually goes down to that one heavy dark that you've established. And when I do that, I don't find that I get the atmosphere that I need in the landscape. Okay, that's probably the key that I'm looking for. Okay. Because when I look at a great painting like yours and some other landscape painters that I admire, it's atmosphere. And I'm always... Just like, ah, oh, what are they doing to get that sense of light yeah. where it just really feels like light is moving across the forms in there? Is is that what you're talking about? That you would yeah, lose exactly. that feeling of light if you keyed everything to your darkest accents? Yeah, if I keyed everything to my darkest darks, I put the darkest shape, the darkest color and say, oh, that's going to be my, that's it. Then everything's got to merge to that. And you know, a lot of painters paint that way and there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, a lot of painters really? paint that way. Yeah. And what I've realized is in, in when I looked at Sargent's work more toward the end of his life, um, he did not let that dark dictate. He he used it last as a supporting element. And not all the time. And it's not like a situation that was perfect every time. But he would he didn't let that, that one dark get I got really hot with that dark right in there. 
nothing wrong with a little more heat, but what's main purpose of that dark is to hold the hole together. If I go too hot or too dark, it just jumps out of there. Mm-hmm. And I don't want it to be that heavy. So I have to, as per the need of the painting, is what dictated my last darks. So as you're working on this, my assumption is you're going to be working sort of high key then. If yeah, you're not keen yeah. to the darks, you're working kind of high key. You're then, high key and right in the middle, yeah. Yeah, and then when you add the darks, all of a sudden it's a full value painting. Yeah. And, well, also, mm-hmm. so look at the light of the rocks in the far left in the middle. The light of the rocks far left in the middle, yeah. So all of those right there, when they go back to that next phase, that uh, half a mile away, back to the right. Oh, here, 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 yeah. That value in color starts going just slightly darker and redder. Yeah. And it goes redder, meaning compared to what's in the foreground. And, and you know, there's a base underneath it that's got form. And you're always taking a pattern throughout. So I'm taking this pattern and gradually carrying it all the way back through to the right side. Not any different than I would have done. What pattern? Before. You mean light side, dark side, light side, dark side. That's yeah. the pattern yeah. you're talking about? Look at the look at the light of the rocks and even the top of the peak right there you're at. Yep, right in there. Yeah. It's coming all the way to the right, all the way across the pinning. And so that pattern right there, you can see it's slightly lighter than underneath that base. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not following you. So this, what do you mean by the pattern? You mean this light accent right here or this light on the rock? Yeah. Yep. That right there. And then go left and you can see there's a shape, more shapes of the same. Yeah. Here, here. And then you go to the peaks in the top left. Yeah. And so that right there, that that is me just carrying that throughout. So you find, you, you found, you found a value and relative hue and temperature and then you just keep carrying that from peak to peak. Obviously, you're making a subtle change. It's a little cooler because you're moving back, right? Yeah, yeah, clearly. But you're following that formula, so to speak. You called a pattern, yeah, but it's more of like, it sounds yeah. more like you, you've got a formula you've established for this painting. Well, it's an understanding what happens to light as it recedes. Right. And what light recedes, it usually gets darker and redder, light does. And then it goes toward the blues and then shadows, it gets lighter and bluer as it recedes. But in this case, you know, the darks are up under the rocks and the, I'm using the exact same value in the, uh, it's hard to explain. Uh, Keep trying a, though, this is good stuff. <laughs> okay. So look at the, when you look at the lake on the far left back side of the lake. Okay. There's a pine tree color right above that, right, right there. Right here, yeah. And if you look closely, you can take that same value and that's, that's a value in light right there. It is right. Go right. Yeah, it's a light. That's a light of the trees. There's a shadow of the trees underneath. They're bluer. Yeah, and that's right. really dark. But it's a light. So go left. Still go into that light right there, and pull straight down and see the rocks down below it. Now it's in shadow. Yeah, the blue right here. So that's in shadow. But go below that, and that's in shadow. I'm saying that the one in the ochre and the rocks right right where your yellow is. Right here. That's in shadow. That's and the it's the same value. color as the trees. Same color, same value. Okay, but what are you telling me about that? That's a pattern. It's a way to carry it through. So you've married the shadows in the foreground to the lights in the background in order to maintain a good pattern. visual pattern. Yeah. So so it's aiding your design. 
by marrying the shadows in the foreground to the lights in the background, you're yes. hating your design. And that was a conscious thought. Very conscious. Really? See, that's my problem. I'm not thinking enough. <laughs> well, there's a certain point where you can't, I think you have to kind of go by feel as like you do. Yeah. I do. I do too. But then how do I hold it together? Right. That's right. the question. What do I do to hold it together? Edgar Payne did it all the time. He took the same value in the shadow of a rock, for instance, it'd be the same value in the light of a pine tree. I would have been afraid to make a light the same value. The same value as a dark. Why does that why is that okay? I don't understand. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but Edgar, Edgar Payne did it all the time, and that's what to me was his biggest. Uh, to me, it was one of the biggest things that made his work solid is he understood the transition between that light in the back or the shadow in the background to the light of the foreground. He could, he could link them. But don't the, okay. But the lights as they recede, do they get slightly darker as they go back? Right. I mean, <clears throat> so look at that ochre in the foreground again. Yeah. Here or the this ochre. one, this one. Yeah. And the shadows there. Yeah. 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 And then go straight up into the mountain in the background, right in the middle of the painting. Those up in there are about the same value, but bluer. Wait, this and this are the same value? Go a little further to the right, you can see they're... Right in yeah, here. That, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. A little, little, little further to the right, you can see the shadows are the same value as the shadows in the foreground. The shadows, I mean, shadow to shadow. So you're talking that about shadow. these blue shadows. Yep. So the not bluer, value. they're like literally blue. Okay, so I was looking for a bluer ochre. Okay. So these blue shadows right here are the same value as these shadows. Exactly. But I thought they were supposed to be lighter. Well, I'm, I'm holding it. You're holding it in order to maintain the pattern. Again, you're, yes. you, yes. so design is trumping reality. At that end, you have to find a way to connect everything and to make it feel like one big hole. I'm more concerned of you seeing this as a one hole painting first. And then seeing depth and space with the color. That's amazing because your paintings look so naturalistic. And yet you're telling me you're breaking rules all over the place. Or not so well, much breaking painting rules, but breaking nature rules by yeah. making the, the, I mean, obviously you're using painting rules, you're using painting devices, but, yeah. but you're breaking yeah. nature rules. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're actually creating a natural, you're getting a naturalistic result, more naturalistic than you, it, I get when I'm obeying nature, literally. Well, and that's what I see in Zorn's painting with like that lady next to the sink. Okay. It's all about how he connected those patterns. It's all how he held it together. What I see him doing is the very end of the painting here. Um, and what I see Zorn doing is you go to the top left of that painting, mm -hmm. where there's kind of a window going through where there's dark around it. Top, top right, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, right here. That dark, see that dark pattern there? It's not really heavy, but it comes all the way down by your elbow. Yep. And it comes down and it goes underneath the sink. And mm -hmm. it keeps coming over left of her, her calf. And that whole thing is holding that whole thing together. You know, those are the kind of values that I'm looking for that are going to, they're going to carry. And it wouldn't be because under the sink would probably be darker than back here. Could be, but he didn't overdo it. He, right. He decided, nature, that's the way nature might have been. Yes, exactly. And he 
so uh, for him, design says, trumps reality. And, and it's about, this is my range, and now I'm going to orchestrate it to where I want you to go. Dude, that's brilliant. Because hmm. you look at the saturation of color in there, it's the bowl. The blue is in the bowl up to the top left. Top oh, right middle. here. Yeah, it's really, well, there he used blue. No black in that. <clears throat> there's blue in there. There's uh, yeah. yellow ochre. There's reds in there, her ear. You know, all of those are the most colorful areas in the whole painting. Mm -hmm. So he must set those up to be to be right in there, right? And it's just a beautiful color. And it's so subtle and so it just reminds me of what it takes to make a painting. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter how you do it, doesn't matter what key it is, it's how you do it. And I, I just said something completely absurd. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know what's interesting about the ear? I've noticed I've never noticed this before, but there's no way that that ear would have been that bright because the only time an ear is that bright is when it's being, when it's translucent and lights going through it. Lights coming in. Yeah. 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 But he's pushing it anyway in order to create a focal point. It looks like he knew what he knew. So he's that, I can see if I can, and I see Sergeant doing that all the time. It's like, yeah. well, I don't see it over here, but I'll put it over there because I know how to, I know how that works. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> it's know? people are going to believe it because they've seen it before, yeah. even if they don't, you know, they don't have to think about it too much. Hmm. Yeah, it's just really, you know, the little, then you start seeing where those other darks are, and then there's just softer edged. Like the curtain in the far right is got some of that same value in it, but most of it is just a hair lighter. Yeah. And it's just to me, just the epitome of what it takes to, to hmm. think of a whole, to think of the whole when you orchestrate. Can you show me that with another one of your paintings? Sure. Quick. Um, let me pull up another one. Uh, let's see. I want to just pick up one that I'm curious about here. I'm curious about all of them, but I'll pick. Oh, this one's so pretty. Okay, tell me, did you, were you thinking in those same lines here? Um, yeah, what I do is like when I'm coming up with the composition, Jeff, I'll, I, I think of the tension and you can see the visual weight on the left. Yeah. Really, what happened to me in this painting is it, toward the end, I had to plug in some darks in the far right snowbank up there. You see it? Yeah. They're very slight, but those little darks down there hold that painting together. Because if I didn't put those in and I didn't see them there, I wouldn't find a way to balance that. Hmm. Those little darks are coming straight out of the trees in the background, the foreground, everything. But they have to be placed in there in such a way that it it adds a visual almost weight in there that's connected to something. So what about these darks? Were they really yeah. that dark? Yeah. They were actually that dark? Yeah, they were. Okay. But even if they weren't, I'll tie them together sometimes. And you see the green of the pine tree in the foreground could be about the same value as that blue of the trees in the shadow and background. That's right. It is. And so the blues and the shadows are the same values as the greens in the foreground. But then I have the darkest dark tucked way down in that tree. So you really don't see it as much, but that, but when they're in there, they give it a little, they bring it right up and they give it that form. And these would have been put in last. Possibly. Um, yes. I, I will keep them in there at the beginning, but then I'll dark, uh, I'll try to find out just exactly where I can keep them to make that value read in, not get too heavy in there. Right. So it's just completely black, you know? It's hmm. hard to read that right there from this scale because this is about a 48 by 48, I think. Oh, is it? Yeah. 
Okay, let's see. If one jumps out at you that you could tell me more about this, what about this one? Oh, oh this one's it. a gouache, right? Yeah. Yeah, this one. Yeah, what is there anything where you modified in order to create yeah, that, keep a pattern in this one? Well, like there's a there are a bunch of pine trees in the foreground that were darker. So right there where your cursor is or your finger is, that the light of those trees, you can see how much more color is in there. Mm-hmm. Right above it, you can see it keep going above it, right there that meets the background, same exact value. Same value, yeah. And you want that because you want to bring, you don't just want to stripe that. across here. You want to bring this T shape. It's more interesting. And it holds as one big unit then. Um, so what happens is when I'm outdoors, I might see those pine trees and I did. So darker and I can put some darks in them. Like, you know, later I tuck those darks down in there. But as a, as a value, it, it separates just barely from the background, but it connects to the background as well. Crazy. And then also this value, the shadow in the background mountain and the light in the foreground yep. mountain are about the same. Yep. yep, exactly right. Wow. I find the most difficult part of, of painting landscape is I did this outdoors. It was a gouache. It's about a 24 by 22 by 24 inches. And this is a gouache. And I just did that out on my tailgate. And you can see that in the... Oh, we want to talk about your tailgate thing too. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, these are your daughters. Yeah, they're my girls. Awesome. Um, yeah, where is your tailgate? I saw that the other day. I don't know if you know about my van, but I spent two years building a van. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. for a sim for for painting outside too. And I just I just saw this, and I'm like, yeah, I I love seeing yeah. unique ways to organize your outdoor painting process. Well, that's the, the French easel in there. And I pulled the French easel out the, the, right where your cursor was above my. This is a French easel here? No, right below. See, it's. Oh, yeah, yeah, right there. I see it. Yeah. Oh, you got the old oh, school one. Is this back yeah, from 1983 or what? Yeah, I know. I still try to keep that thing alive. I got more glue on that than that wood, you know? Oh, my gosh. And above that is a palette that slides in right above your yellow cursor. There's yeah, a palette. Right here. And so that's always got wet paint in it. And so. I'll open the box up on my tailgate, which you can't see because it's got that gouache laying there. Yeah. But um, I'll pull that palette out and sit it right on the French easel and paint right there. That's and I've awesome. Got the drawer on the right is full of oil paint where your, yeah, your cursor is. That whole thing is full of oil paint. and, and paint Your tube, thinner. your tubes, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's got this latch on it, but it's a drawer. Yeah. It's not a it's door. A okay. It's a long drawer. And then above that, I've got little drawers for gouache. There's probably better images of it somewhere in the in this thing, but huh. but it's 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 I love that thing because I'm I live out of there, you know. That is too I've, cool. And I've got uh, watercolor paper in there. I've got uh, canvas, all kinds of canvas. I probably have enough to do fifty paintings in there. Did you build this? I had it built. Really? Designed you designed it and had it built. It's my most expensive paint box. Yeah. Heck yeah, it is. <laughs> but you know that's where we live, right? Yeah. So, man, I know. Yeah, you. It, it's so much more fun when you can bring the studio with you, and you're not oh too God, uncomfortable out there. Well, that and you just you always you know you want to give yourself any advantage, right? Because mm -hmm. I guess there's so many. You know, I, I paint on this. This is the back of a Land Cruiser because the tailgate 
comes down and the top goes up. So I have protection from rain and stuff like that. Okay, stupid question. But do you ever yeah. worry after putting all this effort in designing this that your land cruiser is gonna go kaput and then you gotta start over? <laughs> yeah, I did. I've, I've already, I already did that and had to adjust it and fit it in because they're different. They're oh, so you changed. did replace it. Oh, you've already done. I'm so worried when my van falls apart. I know. Like, no, exactly. I don't wanna start over. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've got magnets all over in there. You can see them. Yeah, what are those for? put pallet knives on it. I'll put my flies from last time I was fly fishing. No way. Uh, <laughs> That's so cool. Flies on it. And yeah, you name it. It's just, uh, I just have all kinds of stuff that I use back there. I mean, I've got stuff to make dinner, you know? That's awesome. Okay. So I'm looking at this pallet right here and I'm yeah. curious about your process. Do you squeeze out new gouache every time you start a painting or do you re-wet your piles of gouache? I re-wet if I've been using them a day before, otherwise I'm probably going to break them off. So here, scoot over a little bit. I can see your face. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So if it's like really hard, you'll break it off. But if it's yeah. Just, yeah. just sort of like, uh, I mean, what consistency are you, are you still willing to do like toothpaste or something? I mean, well, I'll, I'll definitely use wash like watercolor for a while. Oh, you will. So you'll use it with if it's hardened and then just wet and. Yeah, not too hard though. It's got to be have some soft to it. It just don't have any body in there. It just it's just like you're stretching. You might as well. Then I have watercolor right next to it. The the palette on the far left of, on that palette, the far left side is all watercolor. Oh, it is. Yes, where your cursor so is. So why why watercolor right here right here? Why watercolor when gouache is essentially watercolor except for white? I mean, most. So, well, for the very reason when it dries out, I get lazy and I go over there and go, okay, let me just use that for now. Okay. And I'll add some gouache to it. It doesn't matter to me. Um, okay. I mostly in, in gouache, but I, but when I need some real pure color, I'll go over there. Yeah. I'll go that no, use it. So some artists will put their gouache in sealable containers. Yeah. And, and then dip into that painting after painting. Have you tried that? I haven't tried it. I don't think I would like it because it dirties it up sometimes and I'm trying to yeah. clean. And so I'm always just putting clean pieces out. That's the and struggle what, I have too. Yeah. I'm I've tried you. it both ways. I don't dislike, I don't dislike it. I think I, I get to a certain point and I got to clean that whole puddle out anyway. So, so what I tend to do is just wipe it off, put new paint out and then I go to watercolor if I'm trying to manage it and then if it's not, if it's getting too, uh, trying too much, then I'll just start putting more paint of it in the gouache again. Mm, okay. Man, you must go through a lot of gouache. Cause that, the problem, the nice thing about oil paint is it'll last yeah. for weeks, right? But gouache, you got a, a day, the most. Oh yeah. Well, what I do is I'll put uh, paper towels in there and I'll spray them really good. Mm -hmm. Put the lid on. And how long will that last? I'll spray all, spray all the paint. And I'll put a paper towels up there and spray all the paper towels and then put the lid on. It'll last till the next day is all. Just till the next day. Yeah, two days is a little too much. But if I go in there the next day and go, no, oh, let me spray it and shut it again, it's all right. Hmm. But at a certain point, I'm still always adding, I'm always adding paint. Yeah. Do you ever run into mold issues with the paint? I, I haven't, no. No? I, okay. I, if I start getting to that point, I'm breaking it all out of there usually. Okay.
All right. Yeah, these are all just technical questions that, because I struggle with gouache, but mostly I'm just not that experienced with it. But yeah. um, so there's so many artists that use it differently. And yeah. uh, so I love figuring out how we artists do it. And I got to figure out what works best for me. And I haven't quite gotten there yet. I always feel the same though. I've, I've yeah. always, I, I haven't found the best system yet. You haven't? No, I oh. just, I go by feel. But, I, I can eat, I feel like I can manage it or I can't manage it. One of the two, you know, it's like I, I can't manage this. It's too, too dry, too wet, too, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And watercolor, you, you're always looking for your viscosity. Yeah. Your everything. You know, how, how opaque the paint is, how much water's in it. Right. You know, am, I covering, am I covering a pattern and do I want it to bleed through? Or do I want to cover it? So you don't, but you don't really do watercolor. You do watercolor and then put gouache on top of it, right? I, I don't think I've seen it. I use, yeah, exactly. Okay. No, I've, I've done watercolor before, but I don't like just doing, I don't dislike it. I just don't have the patience for it. Yeah, because then you got to preserve your whites and the paper and, oh gosh, it's so tedious. Being careful, being careful is not a thing for me. Me neither. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> me I neither. mean, throwing, every, throwing everything at it and seeing how it works. Is yeah, organizing chaos is how I put yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And oh, that's actually fun. It's actually so fun. It is fun. I mean, for me, I'm always sitting at the edge of anxiety. Like, you know, it's very anxiety-inducing sure but but that's part of the thrill so it's this balance between misery and love at the same i'm like I'm, <laughs> i don't know if that's your experience but yeah oh yeah oh yeah painting in general yeah seriously so what is your favorite thing to do outside do you prefer to do your plain air stuff in gouache or in oil i do a lot i do more in oil than gouache oh really yeah i just i just uh just depends i go in phases i have no idea I have no idea what I'm going to use when I pull up. Hmm. I'll look at it and go, man, I think I'd like to do a gouache. Oh, I want to play with those bushes. And then so I start getting into this whole, and I'll do like the, that rabbit brush you're seeing right in the foreground back there. I'll, I'll definitely start just doing a painting of just that alone. Really? Just to start understanding what I'm looking at. So are there certain features in the landscape that lend themselves to one medium or another? I just find that when I'm really ready to search more, I'll use gouache. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I, it dries I, quicker and you can build layers and really get. I go, I let that chaos hang out right there. I just hang out in that chaos and then pull out a pattern. Okay. The same with what we were talking about, you know, that dark pattern might come in last and you can see them and tucked in that rabbit brush back there. You know, there's a few of them in there and it's just how you put them in. Um, and then where you want to put them in and, and as per and why in a couple of the uh, in the instagram here you can see that i did some rabbit brushing there somewhere rabbit we what are you calling it rabbit, rabbit, brush? rabbit brush yeah keep going down is that a, your, is that an actual like plant yeah so if you go back up into okay. your right here right to your right there yeah that's rabbit brush it's an oil painting oh, okay and that's uh, like 30 by 32 inches, but, uh, Whoa, that's pretty big. I thought that was small. No, that's, uh, but the, I'll do a lot of them from studies. First, I'll do the studies in oil or, and or gouache. And if you go back, you can also see there's, um, you see, a, you'll find a gouache of the same thing. Show, totally changed the key. If so I go, go up down, or down, 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 you'll see it coming up somewhere in there. Um, and 
I'm sure I'll spot it. Man, there's so many beautiful paintings in here. Yep, there, there it is. Oh, man, that's the same painting. So I just changed the key of it. This is more of a clear, bright foreground with a, you know, I just changed the mood by by just changing the temperatures and things like that. Um, but this was done outdoors, um, and the other one was done indoors. So tell me about that process. Do you do you do the study outside and then take photos and use the study and photos for the finished piece? Yeah, uh, I'll do a lot of studies. I'll do studies that you don't see here. They're just that brush that mm -hmm. I'll do in small, smaller little, you know, five by five inches and do shape making things and try to try to come up with a design that I think is interesting. And then then I'll start right into the gouache. But it'll take me a little while for that idea to develop to how I'm going to place that one big shape in there. When I take the contour of that, those bushes, that's the whole idea to me. The in interior lines versus the exterior lines. Yeah, that all the way up and around and how that shape attaches to other shapes. Mm -hmm. It's not any difference than anything else. You're just trying to figure out its placement and where you're going to have the most variety in your painting. So you can see the darks are toward the middle of the painting. Yeah. And the lights, you know, that's that was so obvious on that one to me. But when I do those kind of things, I'll still then how do I paint that same brush with that on the tailgate painting that we had? How do I paint that same brush and subordinate it to stay into the painting so that it doesn't become that dominant? Because it's because not about the brush in that bigger painting. About the brush, exactly. So what, how do you do it? You have to decide on your hierarchy and decide how much dark, how much of a pattern you want to pull out of to make that brush more significant and have more interest you know so you might reduce the value range in the brush yeah in and fact, increase I think the I... value range across the whole scene the relative value range in the scene as a whole rather than focusing the value yeah. range in the brush yeah I, um if we go back i'll show you one uh, and give okay. you an example up so like when, yeah i go way back up to that same one where the tailgate or actually go down below, go um, further on the left right there. There's one um, up to here. So you can see that that brush, well, I don't have, there's rabbit brush in that, but you don't see it now, I guess. But the darks, oh, right even, under, even under the bushes, you know, I've got to watch that those edges aren't really crisp. They're not so hard that they start competing with the pine trees in the middle. And uh, I've got to watch how that edge looks. Mm. And so I'm always looking at that value will be the same, but I'm going to watch how that edge looks. It's going to stay, it's going to stay subordinate. I'm going to tuck some, I'm going to tuck a few darks in there, but I'm going to watch how they look as a whole. Composition but is so true. subjective. I know. You it know, is. so it's, do you, do you have any advice on, could like, for example, you said, that you tied this pine tree, the lights of the pine tree with the hill back here. And then I pointed yeah. out that the lights of the hill are equal to the shadows, which obviously you did on purpose. So basically yeah. the shadows on the mountain back there and yeah. the hill and the pine tree are all one sort of shape, right? 
yeah, obviously exactly. are just broken up a little bit, but it's generally one value shape. Why is that right? I don't know that it is, except that I've, I've convinced you that I'm going to carry it through. Yeah. So where, you, where your yellow hand is right there, right in the middle of the painting, you see a little darker value. Uh, go, to your left, go to your left. Oh, corner. right here. There's a little darker value right there so that the trees have a little darker right in the middle. There, you can see it all over. You can see it underneath those trees right there, too. You're talking that about right here. Value, there's a lot of the same values as the shadow of my pine trees in the foreground. Right where you're, right exactly where you're at. Same value again. Shadow to shadow. So you've really only got like, wait, let me see, one, two, three values in the whole painting. Pretty much, yeah. And is that, would you call that? Um, Sometimes I exclude the, I exclude the light accents, by the way. In my head, I'll just put the light accent in last. And I'll tie that in as a pattern as well. Like the light of the trunks of the trees will will merge with, say, the clouds as well. Mm. Do you use that as a general rule, limiting the values, limiting the number of values? Like, so you have about three here. Three. I mean, obviously there are more values than three, but generally speaking, the pattern, the big pattern, is broken down into only three main values. Is that something Most, you're trying to do? Is simplify things into two, three, four, yes. five values? I find that if I'm having problem with anything in the painting, I usually need to find a place to put it, meaning to, to merge it with something so that it becomes more of a pattern again, because there's so many elements outdoors, you know? And so that's how you control the chaos of the landscape in front of you. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And there's a bunch of gouache I've done. You can look back into the uh, Instagram here. Yeah. I'll show, you example, I'll show you an example of that in a real small case. Right, uh, right. Let's see. Go up, uh, go up more. Right there in the left. That one right there. So the most saturation in the whole painting is the shadow in the foreground. Yeah, right the here. The foreground is made up of three colors. This whole painting was done with cobalt, Venetian red, and yellow ochre. So I can't get too dark in there. That's, you know, I. I but the, that ochre, that color in the ground plane right in there, that dark is marries with that shadow in the background. So the under the clouds, those blues are going to contain a. It's going to it's going to have a value that's similar, and that way that carries the whole. You know, without that value, the whole painting falls apart. Okay, so you've got these shadows are consistent with the shadows in here. Yeah. And then you've got yeah. the sky and the 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 horizon of the landscape yeah. as, as a second value. And then you've got the cloud and the foreground of the landscape, the third value. So it's another three-value painting. Yeah. That's crazy. And I I, what I do is I see it that way. I, I, once I start seeing it that way, then I start trying to rein that in. And, and now what I can do, like with a larger piece, if I do something with this larger, uh, um, this is like an eight by 10 or 10 by 10. Mm -hmm. But I can orchestrate this whole painting to where I could put a few more darks up right in the middle of the sky, right up there where that cloud is. Mm -hmm. And put a few darks in there and your eye is going to go right up there. I can make, I can. You could do that. I could do that. But so you didn't want to. Larger, you want your eye down here on this nice diagonal. 
I want that as well. So I'm kind of more about marrying the two right here to see where I might go with a larger one. Have you done and a larger one of this yet? No, not yet. Not yet. Do you just have like a library of studies and stuff? I got, I've got so many studies. Yeah. So how do you balance your time? If you've got more studies than you can paint, why yeah. go out? Why go out and paint? Because I have to be out. I have to. It feeds me. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it is so nice. <laughs> it just feeds me. I have to be out there. If I if I miss that part of it, I'm not doing what I want to do. How and often do you do it? It just depends. I'll go in phases where I'm out all the time, and then I'll be in for a while. All the time might be for weeks. I'll go out every day and just, you know, I'll bring stuff from cooking to whatever, fly fishing to painting and have everything with me and load it up, take my dog and go out and do it. And then next, then I'll, then I'll finally go, I got some ideas I want to work out. Then I'll go in and start a couple when it's raining or whatever and come in and start a couple ideas from these and then go from there again. So I, oh. I just, I don't really have an agenda anymore. I used to have this really figured out agenda where I'd work outside so much and inside so much, but I do a couple hundred a year outdoors at least. Wow. And that's a lot. I, I don't consider myself a very good outdoor painter. I just, I just like being out there and that's where I get my ideas and that's where I see my palette. Mm -hmm. my palette. Mm -hmm. And I, I just have to break it down enough, Jeff, to make sure that I can, that I can manage it somehow. Right? Okay. But I, I need you to clarify that. So that's where I see my palette, but then in the, in our past discussion, you were, you're saying you're making even outside, you're taking artistic license in your palette. So when oh, you course. say, see my palette, do you mean that's where I decide on my palette or are you literally a documentarian? Play, play with that idea enough to find out where I want to go with it. Okay. So it's not some literal C it's more, this is where I decide on the appropriate palette for this painting. That's better. That's better way to word it. Yeah. Okay. See it. See and and try to figure it out. So I'll do like what you're looking at right here. I might do a top. You don't see them, but I see a couple of little ones next to them. I'll be working on still. Yeah, and I'll kind of try to adjust the key and say, where do I want to go with this? And what am I looking at exactly? And I'll, I'll pick one of them up and go a little further, and then I'll come visit something else and I'll adjust that and try to understand how I can manage it. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction because I interviewed T. Allen Lawson. Do you know him? Yeah. He's awesome. Uh, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. But he literally yeah. goes out there with, he does these color studies, like these swatches. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll go out there and literally pull out his, his uh, swatches of colors and make notes and yeah. say, the sky is this color, this color, and this color. Yeah. And, and then bring that information back into the studio. So for yeah. him, he's literally seeing yeah, the appropriate color. But what you're saying is it's a combination between seeing and editing out there. It is, it is for me. Um, mm -hmm. I do a lot of what he's talking about. So what I, would, what I would do is let's say I'm out there and I don't have time. So I'll take a photo of this, but I'll make, I'll make little marks on my paper the same way. I'll mix, I'll, I'll pick a palette, like a limited palette of some sort. And I say, okay, this is the darkest dark I think I'm seeing. I'll mix it and set it aside. I'll put the shadows of the grasses in, the light of the grass. And then I know there's a bunch of different colors in there. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll do the same with the, the sky. And I'll make some marks and I'll come back and say, from that palette I just made, I can make an idea out of it. When you say marks, do you mean like a separate swatch 
of colors. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put color swatches down just like you, like Tim's doing. Really? Instead of doing, instead of mixing, uh, instead of going to my chart, I'll just mix some and try to. So you'll have a painting, and then you'll have a a, si a piece of paper with little swatches on it. I have a photograph and paper with little swatches on it, and that's it. Oh, gotcha. Sometimes I'll do a if I don't have time for one. And sometimes I'll do two or three at one time and just kind of adjust the key and start watching what's happening with the relationships and try to find my palette that way. Yeah, I, I don't I don't try to have it dictate everything. I try to go to a certain point and then decide what is most important to me. Right. And then you can always add it in the studio anyway. Exactly. Yeah. I just want to get as big of an understanding as I can of the place first. And then when I then I can bring impose myself in there, you know, but. Mm -hmm. Until I know where I want to go, I, I I I really follow what I see out there as much as I can. But then I I divert as per what I think I can manage. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's really good information. And I honestly, I bet T. Allen Lawson does some editing out there too. But yeah, it's an interesting process that he uses. Um. Okay, let's see what else you got here. Man, these are all so incredible. Again, if you see something that you want to talk about, let me know. Okay, here's okay. a here's a question I have. So was this done in plain air? Yes. So how do you get a fleeting scene like this? Or and it doesn't even have to be this painting. Even even the middle after in the afternoon and the sun is just rotating around the sky so fast. Do you have any okay. tips? Or insight into how to control the moving light or changing I didn't light? Finish, I didn't take this this far outside. I was semi-close, but uh, what I'll do is come in and go, warmer than this, redder than that, darker than that, and, and I'll make those adjustments. But when I get away from the scene, and then I'll, the painting will have more clarity to it. Mm -hmm. But I have to remember what I'm seeing versus what I have down. And then I'll try to put those last elements in and, and pull the whole thing together more at the end. So you paint from imagination a lot. No, I paint what I'm seeing. And then, then I'll remember what I saw, yeah. Well, right. Ima yeah. I, yeah, I guess from your memory. From your memory um, I guess when I say imagination, I mean, you at some point, you, you don't have it in front of you, and you're still painting. Well, and if I've got the, if I've got the subtlety, Jeff, of the relationships pretty clear. Yeah. Subtlety clear. I don't know how you say that. No, I know what you mean. You, you've got the key uh, information. Recorded. Yeah, that temperature right there next to the warms, next to the yeah accents of the sky, and you know I'll get some of that in, but I'll define it just a little bit more when I get in. And then that's from memory. Yeah, that's from memory. It's like okay, it was warmer than that. So let me lighten it. Put a lighter pattern right where your finger is on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll put a little lighter pattern right through the middle of it and say, I can go dark or can go lighter. So I'll put a little pattern through there. Did I, you know, just try to remember what I saw versus what I brought in. So what about when you're outside and it, it is a really sunny day. Is it the same kind of a thing where oh, this yeah. is not probably not the best example, but I'll pull it up anyway while you're, well, I, I mean, let's say, let's say it's a painting with lots of cast shadows like this. Yeah. Yeah. And the sun is moving. What do you do then? Same thing? Same exact thing. What If you look at that color from the left bottom left corner, that tree-ish looking thing straight up the painting, that's all one major value into the rock up there. Oh, you're talking about this line. All of that stuff in there. All of that stuff is, well, there's a dark pattern in it, but there's 
a lot of color shifting. Hmm. And that's the relationship I was seeing right there. Yeah. I had to understand how those all So you saw that relationship, but then you could, I mean, did you finish all this from observation or did you have to work from memory on this as well? I worked, I worked that directly outdoors. You did this one. Yeah. Cause this, this one actually is manageable. Yeah. Um, it's tough sometimes chasing that light though. Is this one sold? Oh, I don't know if it is. I oh man. So. I want to talk to you after I probably can't okay. afford you, but that is, okay. I really like that one. Oh, thanks. Um, so, okay, so I want to find one where the light is really fleeting. And, and I want to ask you how you handled that. Because that's hard for me. That's, that's oh, one of the hardest things about painting outside, I think. Okay, here we go. This one would kick my butt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, I mean, are you just painting quickly? Is that the key? Just get Very it down? Quick. Really I'm quick. Light, light versus shadow, light versus shadow. Watching how they relate the whole time. And it is pretty loose. I love the way you simplified the houses back here. If I, they're not houses, forgive me, but that's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're cow houses. <laughs> <laughs> that's gold. Uh, oh, I like it anyway. And the color, the color against that green was just so beautiful, right? So I just put that in. And, you know, it's fleeting. It's what studies are for to me. Um, yeah, it is cool. That's but a again, beautiful the darks, came in, the darks came in last, you know, mm -hmm. they give it a little, that much more form if I could. So this part is your accent right here. You can see the darkest dark on your left. Yeah, right there. And then on the left of that bush up there where you were. Mm -hmm. Right through yeah, here. Right well, right above there, right in the middle of that bush. Oh, yeah, yeah, right here. Right there where your finger is, yeah. yeah. That, that left a little bit darker right in there. And then that, that carries down and it just kind of holds the thing together too. So you might've had these values in there before. That value is a little bit lighter and a little greener right there. Yeah. yeah. But would that have been there earlier? And then these are oh, the accents. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you're not really pushing the darks that much at the end. It's just a little oh. bit. No, in fact, the early on stages, it might be like the very top of the trees up there. Up here. You can see, yeah. Right in there. And then I push that darker pattern in toward the end. Okay. And, but that's where I see it, so I'll push it in there. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And it's more of a, it's like a managing chaos as quickly as you can. I just have to take a minute to thank each one of my generous patrons for your part in keeping this podcast going. I could not continue to do it without you, so thank you so much. If you're not a patron yet, but you love the show and you listen regularly, please consider becoming a patron. It's really easy to do, and it doesn't have to break the bank. Just head over to theundrapedartist.com and click on the link, Be My Patron on Podbean. And then choose a monthly donation amount that fits your budget. It's that simple. So you've been painting for what, 30 something years now? Yeah, since I was, yeah. How are you He's, not running out of ideas? You keep on hitting I home think, runs. I just have never seen anything that I, there's always something. To, I've never run out of ideas. I'm just flooded with ideas. Um, and I don't see a lot of repetition. Everything's different. Yeah, I try to. Oh, this one's really cool, too. Holy cow. Yeah. Let's make a mental note. I really like this one, too. If you sold this one. <laughs> I don't I don't know about that. I'll just oh, man. I don't. Do you sell your gouache? 
Yeah, on occasion I do. Yeah. Man, that is gorgeous. The 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 atmosphere of this, it just you can totally feel the haze. Oh, thanks. It's incredible. I live right over there to the right. You live here? Man, that is it's too much right snow for the, me, man. Yeah, yeah. No, that's too much snow. <laughs> Holy cow. Too much. All right. Well, um, gosh. Those, you know, what might be interesting to cover is just by, while you're at it is that top, uh, if you go up a couple um, to the left right there, the left down. This? That pile of, of studies was uh, studies that I did when I went to, there are a bunch of paintings I did when I went to Norway. Really? And I did like uh, 72 little paintings, you know? How long were you there? Uh, three weeks. Shut up. You did 72 paintings in three weeks? Well, they're just studies. I mean, that doesn't matter. Not... That's still a lot of paintings. Holy moly. But I, but I don't let myself work on them for more than an hour. I just cover, I just go directly. It depends on what I'm trying to do, Jeff. You know, like I'm saying, okay, I've never been to this country. I want to understand it as best I can. Everything in me wants to make a painting. But what I'm really trying to do is just be as deliberate as I can and move. That's still 72 hours on a on your, was it a trip, a work trip or a vacation trip? I was just painting. Was oh, it. so it's full time. Yeah, it was all the whole day, four to five a day I was usually working So on. 72 hours of painting approximately plus travel yeah. time. So you're painting nonstop for three weeks. Pretty much, yeah. Man, that sounds so fun. <laughs> It, but you don't you don't allow yourself to ever finish anything, and that way you're you're just like it's like you're taking it in more than you're trying to make a painting. So, and so then when I get back, I'll try to assess, like what is it that I want out of this, and what is it? Even before I start to study, I'll say how does the how do the buildings connect to the background, or how do the you know what do I want to really pull out of this study? And that's all they're they're for, is me to hmm. just in, to learn how to think more artistically is basically the whole point. So they look finished to me, but obviously they're reduced way down, but that just tells yeah, me yeah. that you've, you've captured the light because they're, 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 they look finished at this size. Yeah, they're not, but they're, they're pretty rough. They're pretty darn rough. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, that right there, that is a good looking cow right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For those listening, I'm pointing at a house at this time. It's a, it's a sheep with a red hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, that's incredible. So, okay, this is a question I ask, and I know my listeners probably think I just need to learn this lesson already, but another struggle that I have, and I would really struggle with this if I'm on a clock like you were, you had three weeks to get as many paintings out as you could. I would drive around for hours just not knowing when to stop and paint because I can't find something interesting enough. But if you're getting 72 paintings out in three weeks, you're not doing a lot of driving. So doing quite a bit of driving, but I was with some people that knew the place. So I got to know uh, an artist over there enough to just, I barely, I said, hey, I'm coming over and I see your husband's a geog geographer, mm -hmm. geologist, geologist, yeah. And he's doing a bunch of map making for Norway. And she goes, and she's a painter, so. He goes, yeah, he, we're always driving around and he's climbing up mountains and I'm painting. I was like, that's what I want to do. And so I couldn't climb up all the mountains because I just had two back surgeries. So I, um, 
went over there just to study and to get in the car, go to the next spot and get out and paint. She must and have I, been on cloud nine when you contacted her. I, she's a sweet lady, really nice. And they're, they were both really sweet. Man. I think she was kind of tired of painting for a while though, after I left. Um, <laughs> yeah, you probably burned her out big time. I think I burned her out, but you know, <laughs> she, she did some really neat stuff and, and, uh, but I think what she was intrigued about is that I wasn't always trying to make paintings. I was just getting my idea down and going. Hmm. And and it doesn't matter if they work every time. I, I mean, I've used to not be that way. But what I didn't want to do is lose the idea of seeing Norway because I was trying to make paintings so much that I was so hyper-focused on the paintings being an end-all. Right. So I just tried to treat them as just studies. So that was a that was about the whole flight over my decision on how I was going to manage that time. Okay, you got to come clean unless you unless this is legit. But did you put all your best ones in this pile? Um, or are they or all 72 this good? Oh, God, no. I'm, okay, I mean, good. I Thanks for telling me that. I so know. I won't shoot well, myself man, today. Man, there's like, like uh, just I think there's, um, I can't remember. I think I did 72, though. Man, because these I, are all winners. I mean, they're really cool. They're, below the stack, there's a pile. I just kind of opened them up like that. But uh, yeah, I've got a couple of gouache I was working on that are not in there. Oh, these are oils? Those are all oils. Oh, they are. That's a gouache right there. And then there's some gouache in the bottom. Yeah, yeah, duh, of course. They're ones with the paper. Um, Huh. So, okay, yeah. but I still, I still want to address that question. So yeah, you did do a little bit of driving with her, but how do you pick a scene? I mean, if you, if you're doing 72, that means you did at least several a day. Yeah. Right. So that means you're not just waiting for the golden hour every day to get the perfect scene. So you kind of have to get what you get. Right. So how it's, do you pick a scene? It's pretty much like walking. I, I viewed this whole trip more like I want to go and be a tourist and look at this place, mm -hmm. see it, see it and realize that I can't possibly see all of Norway. So we went to the Lofoten Islands, L-O-F-E-T-O-N, I think. So. And went up those islands and as we'd go, we'd stop and, and I'd let's see this place and get out and just pull out the paints and paint. And, uh, and then say, okay, I mean, that's, I can outthink, so I can never get anything done if I don't. But I, I'm just trying to take in what I'm seeing versus it's almost like I'm getting out like a, a tourist and taking snapshots, right? Okay, but and what it, about at home then? So how do you do it at home when you have, I mean, arguably all the time in the world to drive around and get the perfect scene? How do you do it? I do, I do a lot of that. I don't try to make great paintings when I'm outdoors. I try to just get the initial read that I think I'm seeing go straight with that so and are you then, not picky then as far as choice of subject i used to be pickier now i'm i find myself stopping at things i would have never used really yeah I, a lot of times and and are Painted there rock, flat light rock gullies of sorts i've got one right here let me grab it okay these kind of these kind of things were it's just like a big rock pile yeah that is cool and you made it interesting so okay but what criteria do you have you must have some criteria for stopping and painting 
the criteria is I, I see an idea. So you're and waiting I, for something to spark in your head. The more I've learned to try to see chaos and organize it, the more I've started to see out there. Oh, okay. And I and I'm kind of my whole goal when I go out is to just be able to see it and understand it. And if I can understand it, I can put it down so I can legibly do something with it possibly. And a lot of times it doesn't work, but but that's my goal outdoors is to learn to understand everything I can see and to try to learn how to think more artistically. Because hmm. I don't I don't I see things outdoors that I can't see inside and then vice versa. So is it does it get easier with time? Uh, you know, as after painting for 30 years, it, is the fact that you've had so many failures and so many successes feeding your ability to distinguish a good subject from a bad subject? Yes and no. I don't know that I, I know what a good one is and a bad one is for a while. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll actually go with them. And I think it, it's only bad if it doesn't work out, you know, if you can't make it work out. Okay. But what's intriguing to me is, I mean, um, Bach took a piece of music from Vivaldi. It took him 10 years to rewrite it. And he did it to learn how to think musically. And he took a, a, a whole orchestra and did it, this whole piece of music. It took him 10 years to rewrite and did it with the harpsichord. So it sounded like a full orchestra. His whole whole reasoning for it was to learn how to think or musically. Mm. And I think when I think like that more, my paintings become better because I'm learning to develop that part of me rather than that scene necessarily. The scene will come if I'm learning to think like this. Okay. I'll see it. I have to learn to see the whole though. Hmm. I like that. So you're 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 seeing yourself more as a con, uh, continuing student instead yeah. of a instead of a professional going out there to make a sellable painting. You're out there just exploring, yes, exploring. thinking about all of these things that you've learned from your yeah. past failures and successes, applying them. It's just this searching. Well, he would talk about music this way. He said, "Well, too much variety would cause chaos, and too much harmony would cause boredom." And he, he within that range, he would expand on it and then come back to what he had expand on it come back to what he had and and, and learn to and learn to think more musically and he'd have all these components that if you chase that too far it, it is gone but if you do it just enough and rein it back in you can pull it into the whole idea hmm. and it's just how he did it was the thing that was intriguing to him the fact that he took 10 years it took Vivaldi's uh, Italian uh, Italian concerto, yeah. They, 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 he rewrote it. it. Took him ten years. It would make me crazy if another artist took one of my paintings and worked on it for ten years. Yeah, no just kidding. How, how, how much different they could make it, right? Because you're thinking, well, I didn't put that much thought into it. The fact that he would just do that only to think, learn how to think more musically, and in my mind at that point, I don't think that's what I would consider his issue. But, you know, it's like Tiger Wood, you know, when he was winning, he still changed his golf swing at the end. He, after he's winning, he goes, I, I know I need some things. Mm -hmm. And he'd keep adjusting it, you know, and, but, he ended, but he wasn't scared of losing what he had because he'd worked with it enough that it's just, it's all malleable to him. Yeah.
Yeah, that's a good analogy. I love those sports analogies. I use them all the time. (laughs) I I can see that in your work. It's just fantastic to see. I I appreciate that. That crucifixion, what you did with the background to pull it all together. Oh, man, I'm so glad you said that about the background because that was where I was most insecure. I'm like, I don't know how to do landscape. But thank you you for saying that. You did it and it supported it. And that's fantastic. That is so hard to do because I see that as one of the biggest hurdles after looking at Zorn's work, you know, when he, he'd tie it into that landscape so well. And that's what you did with that. Oh, and it's, thanks, it's, man. That means a lot coming from you. I would love to, I would love to just talk to you about your stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll do that when we're not recording. So I don't bore my audience too much. <laughs> no, <laughs> boring about it. I think that's, that's where I learned the most. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, okay. So I had one question. I'm going to go way, way back because I never got to ask this question and I'm still really curious. And the reason I'm so curious is because although our paths are very different, we have some things in common and this is one of them. And we both had a wife that could have been scared out of their minds and telling us to get things straight and get a job and, and not chase this pipe dream. And I'm, I'm curious, how was your wife during this whole process when you had a kid at home and her and you're, you're living on 500 bucks a month and selling paintings for probably not very much. And how, how was she, how did she feel about this dream? She was a believer of, uh, somehow of that. I was, you know, she saw me work though. Mm -hmm. And so she knew I was going to put in the time and she knew that I didn't like to quit on anything. Um, and so I, I had those things that can also not be so enjoyable, but, uh, but I had that want to, and, and then she was such a support. I can't tell you how, how big a support that she was. Um, and she would help me learn how to do frames and we'd, and then she would start doing some framing and all kinds of things just to, just to learn more, but raising mm-hmm. the kids, what she wanted to do. So we had four kids and she stayed home with them. She stayed home with them. Yep. Yeah, same with my wife. Yeah. She had to babysit for a couple of years to get some extra money in too. And we just did what we could, you know, but we lived a great life. We take the kids out and go camping and meaning just go out and have dinner out by the lake, you know, in Jackson. And that's back when nobody was there in the evening, you know, mm-hmm. it was awesome. But we just had great experiences. And I think I, I do. I think that what we tried to develop was time and memories. Mm-hmm. How we spend our time and how we develop memories together. And that was a big part. So, yeah, really- man, it helps so much to have a good partner in this because yeah. I remember when I was in art school, you know, I, I developed a friendship with this one artist that was, I was, you know, we were pretty close and are, we're about the same age and we're both newlyweds or newish, <laughs> newish. And uh, his wife was like, all the way along the process was like, nope, you got to get a job. This is never going to work. This is not a viable career. And the pressure, the pressure was too much for him. And he never did do the painting thing. And he had talent. And my wife was like, I could live in a box if we have to just do what makes you happy. We'll raise the kids in a box. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, dang, she was so great. And I never would have been able to make it if she wasn't willing to take a chance and because she wanted to stay home with the kids too yeah exactly psychologically if she would have been pushing on you too much it breaks you down at a certain point 
And I, you know, I well, did, for good I reason. Did, I mean, you get yeah, a partnership exactly. and, and if, if they have certain needs, you know, it's important that you accommodate, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it worked out for both of us. I'm happy for you. And I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm looking at that, that ocean scene you got behind you and it's blowing my mind. I'd actually, if it's possible, are you on a laptop? No, I'm not. Okay. I won't, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about your studio. It looks like a beautiful studio. And I'm curious, tell me a little bit about your work habits and your studio habits. Oh, so you can rotate a little bit. Oh, it's a big studio, man. I've got a bunch of paintings on the wall. Look at all those paintings. And some on the other side of the house over there too. And in the house, I've got a whole bunch of paintings. I'm Wait, mostly... tell me about that, that, uh, what do you call it? Like an arbor type thing over your painting right there. What's that all about? Oh, that's, um, we were just doing some videoing while I was doing some larger work and oh. I could hang, I could hang cameras off of there and I could change the lighting up there. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, it's, is it's this okay. studio in your prop on your property? Yeah, it's in the back of the house. Um, this, this, uh, I use the house as a place to hang some cases while I'm working on them. I'm working on a show that I'm going to have with Kwong. Oh, no yeah. way. That's going to be a powerhouse yeah. show. We've been working, working on it for about three and a half years now. I'm going to have 50, 50 paintings. And that'll be in July of this year. 50 for you're going to have 50 and he's going to have 50. Yeah. Somewhere like that. How do you make a living when you're hoarding 50 paintings? Uh, one be used to be. <laughs> it used to be doing yards, you know? I don't know. I'm still Jeez, trying to that's a lot of paintings to not sell. Yeah, you, I've sold some, and some people are buying them on um, uh, consignment. Oh, you're pre-selling. You're pre-selling some. They're buying monthly payments so that they can get them after the show. Oh, okay. So, so you are selling them. Okay. Well, that's some a good them. business plan. Pre-sell them. Some of them. Yeah. It's hard to chase them down if you, if you let them go. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hmm. Man, 50 paintings. That's so how well do you know Kwong? Uh, we, we had our last show together at the booth museum. No kidding. And that was about five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, I've known Kong for years, um, not not that long. I would say ten years, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's an and, exceptional uh, painter. Yeah, I love love him. He's just uh, yeah, really well rounded. And, yeah, he and Adrian are just beautiful people, and Liam is what a great kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the most famous uh, the most famous Liam. kid on the internet right now with among <laughs> artists. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Well, how many how what, kids do you have? I have three. Okay. Yeah, 20, 20, 20, and 16. And you have two girls? Four. You have four. How old are they? Three girls and one boy. Yeah, they're, I can't remember the name. Age is just half up my <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. They're, yeah, they're great. Yeah, family's good. So, okay, so my final question for you, and I ask this to everybody, okay. is uh, what piece of advice would you give to an aspiring artist? What's one good piece of advice that you wish you had, or maybe one that you had that really carried you? Uh, I would say one of the biggest parts is to follow your curiosity. Okay. I mean, you know, there's times that you feel like, well, I got to make a living at this. And that's true. If, you, if that's what you're trying to do and you have a family and that's realistic. Yeah. But at some point you still have to decide, 
I got to I got to follow this through, and I got to learn something here, and not to always try to make a painting that's for sale. That's it's really just, good advice. Yeah, just always search. search. Uh, the curiosity has kept me going the most, and that's where I've still become the most excited about. Painting. That's funny because we were talking about that when we weren't recording with the podcast. And I was saying, oh. I was saying, people keep making suggestions, and I'm like, ah, you got to understand, guys. I'm doing this for me. I'm selfish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing people I'm curious about. So exactly. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's where are you? You can't Where's be passionate if you're not doing it that way. What's that? Where's your studio in Utah? Salt Lake City. Oh man, I got to come down and see you. Are you so you're near Jackson Hole still? I'm just west in Victor, Idaho. Which, so that's what, like four or it's, five hours from me, or, or is it farther? Yeah, it's four hours. Four do you ever half. come down to Salt Lake? Sure do. Oh, yeah. you definitely. If you come down to Salt Lake and don't visit me, I'm going to be offended, man. <laughs> okay. You got to come. Okay. You got to come visit. That would be amazing. Yeah, it would be awesome. It. Well, Fun hey, thanks a ton for coming on the podcast. This is... This is a bucket list moment for me to be able to talk to you and meet you and get to know a little bit about you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to talk to you. And thank you for your time and your expertise and what you're doing is just so much. It makes it so much interest, more interesting to speak with you. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends, and if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.